Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. Remember to continue reaching out to your loved ones. Stay connected with each other, especially with your cell family. The Bible gives us a pattern to look out for one another. Let's speak His word and His strength will carry us through. Continue checking our social media platforms for updates on Facebook and WhatsApp. We encourage you to share this content with all your friends and family. Well, I'm so glad to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks and Tom Mullins and Gary Hay and Pastor Taz brought amazing messages in my absence. I'm back. I was with Pastor Bonnie. Pastor Bonnie and I were together. Uh, her healing protocols are doing very, very well. And uh, I'm back recording and I'm continuing on a series that we started. So uh, I want to pick up there and uh, let's get rolling and get your Bibles. You're going to want a notebook today and a pen and a paper because as we get into this, it's going to be something very, very, very powerful. So it was a few weeks ago that I began a series on the path to Christian character. So I want you to turn to the passage in your Bible that we had made as our base scripture. And let's look at this passage of scripture that we're studying from. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, the Bible says, His divine power has given to us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given to us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world caused by evil desires, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. It goes on to say this, it says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a powerful scripture. I love that verse of scripture. I love what it says. I love how it ministers to my heart and your heart. I think you should memorize it. I think it's something you should put in your spirit. So in our studies, we've seen that there's a progression in our growth in character. We add things as we go, and we keep adding them as we grow. And as we mature in our faith and in our walk with Jesus Christ, we found out that God, through his divine power, has given us everything that we need to live a godly life through a continuing and growing knowledge of him. Secondly, we found out that by this knowledge, we learned that we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through those promises, we can participate in the divine nature, God's nature, and that we can escape this world that is 
caused by corruption and evil desires, the corruption of this world. We can get out of it through participating in the divine nature. So for the last three sessions, before I took a break, we talked about the progression. First of all, we talked about that we had to have faith. And faith is simply trust. It's, it's trusting God and trusting others. Faith is the fact that Christ is our foundation. And that's the first step to our relationship with God. Faith brings forgiveness of sins. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is uh, in Jesus is the basis for our strength and for our righteousness. Faith is tested. And when we pass the tests, we're strengthened by our perseverance. And, you know, finally, it's by faith that we bring glory to God. God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. The second thing we talked about was uh, what I called the trap. And all people have the potential of experiencing life-controlling problems. We mentioned that these fall into three different categories. Uh, substance addictions, things like drugs, food, or alcohol. You know, anything that is a substance that is, you're addicted to. Uh, behavior addictions, gambling, pornography, sexual addiction, love of money, sports. It can be almost anything that is a behavior addiction. And then relationship addictions. And uh, we often refer to those as codependencies. You know, that you are so dependent on another person or that your life is so bound up with another person that you're not free. So here again, we realize that everyone has the potential of some time or another in their lives experiencing one or more of these life-controlling problems. We call the steps into addiction the trap. The issue with the trap is the nature, or the nature of it, as I should say, is the way that it pulls a person deeper and deeper into a downward spiral. We really have to escape the trap by making a resolve to live a life that is free from the behavior or the dependency, whatever it is, on whatever masters us. Our text that we're reading from today in the Bible tells us that we do that and, and it tells us how to do it. It says, for this very reason, make every effort, every effort to add to your faith goodness. See, we found out that goodness was a virtue or, uh, or its moral excellence. And it involves a, a firm decision, a firm resolution, uh, an active choice to live with moral excellence. So we make a commitment to shun corruption. In our third lesson, it's centered around our feelings. Knowing our true feelings and uh, being able to express them. It's difficult for most people to do this. But especially with those who are struggling with life-controlling problems or issues. We become healthy in our lives when we can recognize and we can share our true feelings. That's where health drives from. Many people are frozen or numb to this world, especially now during this COVID crisis. And this happens when we don't recognize our true feelings. So we never deal with what's really bothering us. Or it happens when we hide our true feelings, which keeps us from being really known as to who we are. That, that's a bad tension to have in your life. And it can also happen when we have hidden or unexpressed or what we call frozen feelings, uh, which often strengthens the bondage or the life-controlling problems in our lives. Again, we see the solution is found in this passage of Scripture, verse 5, where it says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, 
remembering that goodness is uh, a moral excellence, and add to your goodness knowledge. You see, knowledge is, is not an accumulation of facts, but it's the gaining of practical understanding, things that work in our lives. Uh, we're challenged to a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ, a, a relational knowledge with Him, a, a knowing Him intimately, rather than letting our actions be determined by our feelings. By the way, your feelings can delude you. We need to base our actions on what is certain, what is true. It is knowledge that leads us to right decisions. It's knowledge that leads us to right actions, the right kind of knowledge. And we want these right actions in the sight of, our, of God. So this leads us to today's message. And I call this message defense or defenses and isolation. Defenses and isolation. You see, learning to share our feelings and dealing with life-controlling issues, it's not a weekend project or even a short-term project. It's an ongoing process as we learn to be honest with ourselves and with others about how we feel, about our feelings. You know, we saw some of the serious problems that hidden feelings can cause and some of the dangers of being blind to our own feelings. Denial is another word we can use to talk about the condition of being blinded to our own feelings, or the word scotoma. It means that it's right there in front of you, but you can't see it. It's hidden. Uh, there's a friend named Keith Miller, and he writes this. He says, our feelings constitute a wonderful warning system that tells us when we need to focus on a certain danger area in our lives, or something that needs our love and attention. But when we are in denial, we bury those feelings. We push them into our unconscious, like pushing giant beach balls underwater. When a ball gets loose, it comes up with exaggerated force at an angle, and it may hurt someone. Like a beach ball that has been pushed too far under the water and finally pops to the surface. I, I don't know if you've ever held an inflated toy under the water. You know what hard work that can be. I used to play with my kids, and we would do that. We'd get a ball, we'd put it on the water, and then that thing would shoot up in the air. But, you know, we work even harder to keep our true feelings out of view. We build walls around our real selves. We build walls around our strongholds, our life-controlling problems. And what these walls do is they cause us to isolate ourselves from other people. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who separates himself or isolates himself, seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. It also causes us to isolate ourselves from God. And it causes us to hide from the truth about a growing or a full-blown dependency or addiction. A lot of people that just can't get this thing in the open. They're not true with their feelings. So what are some of the defenses? Let's talk about defenses for a minute. The walls that we build up are called defenses. And this morning, I want to point out some of the common defenses. And I want you to think about these. In fact, you may even want to get a piece of paper and write some of these down. Write down the ones that might be affecting your life or might be, you might be using. But there's two things we have to understand before we look at this list of issues and, and things that might you know, be dis distracting us. First of all, for the most part, we don't plan our defenses. We don't select them. 
you know, we're not consciously thinking, well, I'm going to hide behind such and such a defense. And the second thing is, defenses play a major role in the lives of those who are enslaved by them, or in the process of becoming enslaved by them, by a life-controlling issue or a life-controlling problem. You see, these defenses are behaviors, they're attitudes that we take on to cover our feelings, to cover them up, to hide them, not only from ourselves, but from other people. They are like a fortress surrounding and preventing the conquering of a stronghold. They keep us from seeing the truth of our bondage. The Bible describes it as delusion. So let's look at some of the common defenses. I've made a list, to, uh, and I want you to try to write down the ones that may apply in your life. But I think we all probably have at least one, or maybe more. Number one, rationalization. And that's when we say, well, oh, it's not my fault. Uh, we're living in tough times. We're living in the 21st century. Everybody's doing it. We rationalize. We have an excuse. We say something that, you know, gets us off the hook. Second thing is humor. Joking, grinning, laughing. Oh, that reminds me of a funny story. Have you ever been around somebody, you try and talk to them, and they're always talking about something funny, trying to keep, shift, the, shift it. Blame, blame or blaming and accusing. This was first used by Adam and Eve. He blames her, she blames the serpent, and the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> denying, denying, blind to the truth about ourselves. I do not do that. I don't do that. Always denial. That's not me. You're not talking about me being blind to the truth about ourselves. I do not. I do not. That's, that's what we say. I don't, I, that's not me. You're not describing me. In Genesis 4, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Denial. Peter denied Jesus three times in the face of questioning. You know, it's not uncommon to us to deny. Another way is we have a feeling of superiority or we become arrogant. That simply means that we are condescending. We look down on other people. Or we become justifying. You don't understand the pressure that I'm under. We justify. Or intellectualizing. Oh, in my reading, I have found, I, I, I love people that are intellectualizing everything. They're constantly telling me, you know, some explanation of why they do what they do. Another one is explaining. I had to do it because. Really? Or debating or arguing. Well, that's one way of looking at it. That's, that's how that comes out. Or we minimize things. What I said isn't so bad, or what I did isn't so bad. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> or we evade things. We dodge them. Uh, you must be talking about somebody else, not me. That, I wouldn't do that. Or we have attacking or aggression. If you don't shut up, I'm gonna, and then we threaten. I'm gonna, you're, what are you going to do? Or withdrawing. I'm going to go for a walk. Some people just withdraw. Some people give the silent treatment. Silence. I don't want to talk about this. You know, I had a friend. He would be, he could go silent on his wife for two weeks at a time. Never say anything. Then there's verbalizing, talking. Blah, 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 blah. Just always talking. You know, you can over-talk sometimes. Sometimes you're too quiet, sometimes you talk too much. Then there's shouting or intimidating. Shut up. Does this sound like anybody you know? Or there's threatening. If you mention this again, I will, and then there's a threat. What? Or glaring. You know anybody that glares, they just stare you down. Or smiling. You know, this false happiness that covers up real sadness or real pain. There's some people who just smile through everything, but they don't really get in touch with their real feelings. Or complying. 
whatever you say, whatever you want. Or playing dumb. I don't know how I could have done that. I don't know. Or spiritualizing. This is the big one. God told me to. God, God tells you about everything? No. You need to take responsibility. Can you see yourself in any of these defenses? Do you habitually use any of these defenses in your life or your relationships? So we've been focusing on defenses. I want to move on to the point of our spiritual growth right now and our awareness. But before I do, I want to take a little side journey. Uh, I, I read from a doctor. There's a doctor, and he had some things I wanted to talk about. Uh, and it's referred to as leveling. See, if we're going to get rid of defenses, we must understand that it'll be a brick at a time. Uh, there are three things that'll help us to begin this process. And that's number one is leveling about our feelings. And that simply means admitting them openly. Openly admitting how we really feel. Number two is to level, or in, in leveling, is to respond openly. We have to begin to be able to re respond openly. And we respond openly with God. And uh, you can see that in Luke 18, where these two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, the Bible says, and he wouldn't even look up with his eyes to heaven. But he beat himself on his breast. He says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said this about that man. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Jesus is saying, hey, the, the man who was honest, the man who was able to talk and say, I am a sinner, admit where he was really at, was the one that was justified. We have to be honest with God, but we also have to be honest with ourselves. In Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And then we have to think about how we are open with others. Samuel 12, 13 says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. David had done terrible sins and Nathan confronted him, but he admitted it. He was able to say, you're right. I've sinned. I've sinned against God. See, our personal goal should be to replace isolation with sharing. You see, we level when we take the risk of being known by spontaneously reporting our feelings. We level when we tell someone we're hurt or we're afraid or we're angry using these particular Feelings, as an example, is useful for us. You see, anger that is bottled up or kept hidden will lead to more relapses in your recovery from an addiction or a dependency than any other feeling. Anger and fear are two of the most difficult feelings to express. Anger and fear, if not dealt with, result in isolation. Two of the hardest feelings to admit are fear and anger. But they are also the two most common emotional trouble spots. Not everybody lives with anger or fear. But there are more and more people, especially in these times of COVID, these days we're living in right now, that are suffering under fear, suffering under anger. And it's important for us to understand just how powerful these emotions are in order to help ourselves and in order to help others. 
Dr. Raymond Brock, he uh, wrote papers on the development of emotional problems related to fear. And he put them in phases. He says, the first phase is the stress factor. Number one is stress. Any stressor in life that becomes overwhelming, anything that gets on us, whether it be a people or a place or a thing, uh, it can be anything from a job to a difficult person or some other pressure point that puts us under stress. That turns into anxiety, anxiousness. That's phase two, a feeling of reaction to the person or the circumstance or the situation that causes our stress. That leads to the next phase, phase three, which is avoidance. We avoid confrontation with the source of our stress. Call in sick to work or avoid family gatherings or any other contact with a difficult person or a difficult group of people. Then the bitterness begins to grow on the inside of us. And then unforgiveness is used as an avoidance technique. You see, avoiding the real issue isolates an individual and keeps them alone, keeps them in fear, keeps them in stress. Phase four is reinforcement. The more the problem is avoided, the harder it becomes to ever deal with the anxiety or the source of the stress. The problem persists because it is not confronted in a realistic way. You see, God wants to lead us to a place of recovery. So instead of avoiding the issue, we need to deal with the anxiety and we need to reverse the cycle of fear. The source of stress has to be confronted rather than avoided. That confrontation is the only way that stress and anxiety can be resolved. Development of emotional problems related to anger was the next thing he talked about. Fear is one thing, but anger is another. And here's phases here. There's seven phases here. Phase one is hurt. You know, bruised feelings from a personal slight or a disappointment hurt us. And when people get hurt, they, in their phase two, become frustrated. Frustration. This is a feeling that comes when life tells you no. And life tells us no a lot sometimes. And it frustrates us. We're having a lot of no's right now in our lives. Phase three then leads to fear. That's the feeling that comes with a loss of control. It's the anticipation of reprisal. Fear is gripping many hearts today. That leads to anger, feelings of hurt that are complicated by frustration and fear. Out of that comes this anger, and then it turn, can often turn into wrath. And that's anger that is brewed overnight. That's, that's something you've been thinking about. It gets stronger and grows into bitterness and unforgiveness. From wrath, we get into phase six, which is hostility. And this is when tensions are acrimonious, and you can just feel it. And then it finally gets to hate. Phase seven is hate, and that's bottled up hostility, which may be turned inward, and it can be turned inward in depression, or it can grow to the point of exploding into some kind of violence, either directed at oneself, or toward a person or a group that is being blamed for the original hurt. There's a lot of people that are feeling this way right now, and, and, and the world is pressing in on the saints right now. But what is God's plan for recovery? He wants us to deal with anger. Go back to the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. Take responsibility for your part and forgive 
the other person for their part. Now, I want to go to the building block section. I want to go into the spiritual side of this. The message in the Bible talks about self-control. Today is what we're adding. We add to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. But before I speak about self-control, I think it's important to deal with a false sense of self-control. Uh, many people have experienced a false sense of self-control. Some of those indicators are when we isolate ourselves behind walls and defenses. We have the kind of sense that we're in control. You know, We really have walls up, but we act like we have it all under, under control. Nobody really knows what we feel, but I look like I'm in control. That's not control. That's not self-control. When we're holding our feelings under control, remember the beach balls I was talking about? When you're holding those things under control, that's, that's a lot of hard work to keep all those feelings down. That's not how God meant us to live. When we're keeping other people at a safe distance, that's not self-control. See, another thing is we may have secrets about our developing addictions and our dependencies. And we, we don't want anybody to know that, so we keep them well hidden. And we feel as if they're under control as long as they don't get in the open. That, that's not true. Not true. And it's a lot of pressure on you when you do that. And it's not self-control. See, we may have developed some safe rules related to our problem, our substance abuse or our behavioral activity. And that, those rules are actually feeding this false sense that we're in control of the situation. You see, God just wants us to be transparent and open. We may be seeing a distorted reality. We may be deluded. Our false sense of self-control can blow up at any time. I've known people that looked like they were all together, and all of a sudden, before you know it, they were in deep denial, and they had problems that, oh my gosh. So in our misguided attempts to get our lives under control, what we've actually done is pushed away the people who can really care about us, the people that could really help us. You know, God uses people. Yeah, He gets in our lives, but He uses people. Sometimes we've allowed hidden and suppressed feelings to fester, to ferment, and to grow. And far from being in control, we're actually slaves. We're in bondage to a mastering problem that wants to take over more and more of our lives. You see, the kind of self-control that we're talking about usually ends up in depression, usually ends up in despair. So let me quickly describe what the true self-control, the biblical self-control speaks about. And we see it here in 2 Peter chapter 1 again. In verse 5, it says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, and it goes on. But I want to talk about we add to our knowledge, self-control. The definition of self-control is mastery of appetites. That's a good definition. Mastery of appetites. But the mastery of our appetites runs counter to the desires of our flesh. You see, our sinful nature, our sin nature, pushes us toward self-indulgence. But God's Word says that our lives in Christ should be characterized by not self-indulgence, but self-control. The differences between self-indulgence and self-control are many. Our feelings and our sin nature push us towards self-indulgence. And we have all kinds of messages that do that. We, we say things like, well, if it feels good, do it. Uh, 
Oh, I don't feel strong enough to fight these urges. Or I'm worthless. I'm no good. <laughs> you know, uh, this substance or this behavior is the only thing that makes me feel better. Well, I'm already guilty, so why, do I, why should I stop now? See all those attitudes? That's how, that's how people talk to themselves. But self-control grows out of a knowledge. The more we know about God, when we start living and we start choosing to act on the basis of what we know about, who we are in Christ, and what we know about the strength and the guidance and the wisdom that God has promised to provide us, then we can begin to practice true self-control. You see, our confession and our attitude should be something like this. It should be, God, I can beat this thing. After all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We should be saying, hey, if I'm valuable, then I shouldn't hurt myself with dangerous behavior. Hey, God is working in me. And in His power, I can control my desires. The Holy Spirit can guide me through the minefield of temptation. With every temptation, He makes a way of escape. 2 Peter 1.5 says, make every effort, every effort. I, I can tell you right now, self, self-control, Whew. It involves a great deal of effort. In fact, it's just plain hard work. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that. Renew your mind. That word renew means to make new. To renew implies such an extensive remaking that what had become faded and disintegrated is now like new. So God wants to help us get rid of the old, our old sin-warped ways of thinking, so that we can use our minds to make wise choices. The way he intended us, when he created us. He made your mind like a computer. It's, it's brilliant, but it needs to be renewed. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, We take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. See, we can't dwell on substance. We can't dwell on behavior. We can't anticipate. We have to pray. We have to meditate on the truth of God's Word. If you dwell on sin, you'll become sin-minded. If you dwell on God's Word, you become God-minded. See, the principle is this. Right thinking comes before right behavior. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and let us be sober. Let me tell you something. Our minds have to be sober. Be awake. Be alert. Be sober to unhealthy patterns, tempting situations, friendships that could lead to problems, feelings I'm tempted to hide. Pooh. Be alert. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion, seeking, he's prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Satan uses life-controlling problems to devour us by waste. Look how much time and effort and energy that could be applied to right or righteous pursuits 
but we're spending them diverted. And our diversion is leading to a destruction. Life controlling problems also lead to the destruction of relationships with people and even with God himself. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Be alert. Be thinking ahead. Jesus is coming. Prepare for action. We need to learn how to anticipate the trigger situations, the things that trigger us. We need to plan escape routes from temptation. We have to be on guard against our sinful nature that constantly cries out to be indulged. Psalm 119.11 says it this way. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think by hiding God's word, by meditating and memorizing God's word, hiding it away in our heart, it makes us aware of the truth. It encourages us to godly thinking and godly living. It provides direction for our lives. Instruction and encouragement. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 10. I, I, I love this verse. The Bible says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, Malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. See, these are all sins of the flesh. Isn't it interesting to realize that all the problems people struggled with back in Bible times are still with us today? That's probably because we still have the sin nature that fights for control of our lives. We're all called to yield our members to Christ. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Living by the flesh is allowing our sin nature and our feelings to determine our behavior. In other words, it means being self-indulgent. But if we let the Spirit control us, and by His power, we begin to put to death the misdeeds of the body, the Bible says we will live. You see, left to ourselves, we are not strong. We're not strong enough to discipline our passions. Anyone who has struggled against a life-controlling problem and lost, lost a battle. You know what I'm talking about. You know how true it is. It's painful. We slip, we fall. Now, we're supposed to make every effort to add to our knowledge self-control. So, we have some important work to do. But ultimately, true self-control comes through submission to Jesus Christ. You see, when we turn ourselves over to His control, when we submit to his will for us each and every day, then we can find the strength to master our appetites and overcome life-controlling problems. Look.
Galatians 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against such there's no law. It's amazing to me, self-control is identified as one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, by letting the Holy Spirit control our lives, the Spirit of God, these fruits become a natural outgrowth of our healthy Christian life. Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2, and verses 11 and 12, and says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's a very powerful passage of Scripture. See, we have to bring this idea of self-control down to a level of everyday living in this present world. And it really boils down to one issue. Are we able to say no? God says he gives us the ability to say no. Can any of you relate to a time when you sensed the grace of God that enabled you to say no? See, practicing self-control is starting with the small things and then practicing over and over and over again on what seems to be a series of relatively small decisions that eventually come together to make a pattern of our lives. Once you do things a little bit by little bit, enough times, that becomes the new normal. This is not the first, nor will it be the last time that we will talk about self-control. But I want to leave you with this. It is possible for us to put to death the sins of the body. It is possible for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is possible for us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It is possible for us to be alert and self-controlled. It is possible for us to prepare our minds for action and to be self-controlled. And it is possible to hide the word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against God, to rely on the Holy Spirit in us for the strength that we need to say no. By the grace of God, we say no to the ungodly passions that want to master us. What is it that you're finding today to be the most difficult part of practicing self-control? What is God teaching you through this message or in this area? I think those are good questions. I hope that you will reflect as a family. I hope you reflect on your own life. I think if you take time and you take this message and dissect it and take some of those defenses and the fear and the anger and deal with it, I think God can really come to your rescue. I think God can really intervene. I know that we've been under a lot of pressure. The nation is under incredible pressure. Many of us don't have work. We don't have businesses. Some of us are fortunate enough that God has made a way. Keep looking for that way. God will make a way. This may be a new season to change course, to change direction. Let God lead you. But we've got to get real with our feelings. Some of us feel very insecure. Some of us have allowed life-controlling problems to get a hold of us. They're going to control our lives. And to get out of that is going to be very difficult and very painful. I want to pray for all of us today as we close that God would help us, that God would help you. We all need help right now. 
We all need to trust in him. We all need a deeper abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're listening and you've never asked Jesus into your life, right now would be a good time to say, Jesus, I really want to be honest with the first thing. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I need you to come into my heart. I need you to come into my life. If you're a believer and you're finding these trying and testing times, working against your resolve, temptation, idleness, we need to resist that. Meditate in his law. Let's, let's do what I just taught you today. Father, I pray. I'm praying for every person under the sound of my voice, every person listening, every person that is dealing with any kind of life-controlling issue or problem or tempted by them. I'm asking that your Holy Spirit right now would begin to break in on them. Touch their hearts right where they're sitting, right where they're watching, Lord. Touch in their hearts deep down in their spirits. Convict them of sin, but then show them that you can be their righteousness. Lead them into paths of righteousness for your namesake. And Father, keep us from your judgment. We do not want to come under judgment. So we judge ourselves. Help us to become transparent, honest. Bring people into our lives. Bring people into every one of our lives, Lord, that can help us to face our fears, face our angers, face our feelings, and talk with them, deal with them. My prayer, Father, is that revival would come to our land, that your spirit would revive us again, that our hearts would be touched by you, that we'd have an abiding relationship with the Son of God, and that your spirit would live big in our hearts. Right now, just put your hand on your heart and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not seeking you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and all my strength. Help me. Give me grace to do that. Lead me through and help me to get over anything that could become or is a life-controlling issue in my life. Help me to face my feelings. Lead me to the people that can get me out of my pit. I ask this in Jesus' name. See, if I think you, I, th I believe if you said that and you mean it, God, God hears the cry of our hearts. God's here to help us. For many of you, the... Uh, problems are even right now overwhelming. And that's why we have the phone numbers on the screen. We have a call center. There are pastors. There are uh, good people, counselors. And some of them don't have the skills to take you through your problem, maybe. But they know how to get you to someone that does. There are professional counselors that can help you. There are, uh, in some cases, there are people that can just get around you. Some people just need someone to talk to. You need to start your journey somewhere. And so whether you need a pastor or you just need someone to talk to or you need to find a way to find a professional, call that number, the number that's on the screen. There's someone there on the other end of the phone that will minister to you. We love you. Our hearts are for you. And the church is getting stronger. Be a part of it. The church is you and I. It's not a place. It's not a building. It's us. So let's be strong together. We're going to get through this. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, stay connected.